evening. It's a blessing to be back with you all again this afternoon, this afternoon, evening. Still in Oklahoma time, I guess. I guess technically evening, isn't it? It is a blessing to be in God's house today. We want to thank you again for your hospitality to us all day today. It's been a blessing uh, to our family. It's been a joy to meet you all, and you all have been very kind to us and just talking to us. And it's been good to see some familiar faces as well, and as well as uh, meeting some of, some, uh, of you all for the first time. Do want to thank uh, Pastor as well for allowing us to come and for the opportunity to preach. Do want to, uh, every time I have opportunity to open the Word of God, it's a privilege that I'm very uh, humbled for and thankful for the work that God's done in my life through His Word. And um, hope tonight, Lord, be honored uh, by the effort tonight. If I can invite your attention to the Gospel of Mark in chapter number one. Mark in chapter one. If you have not had the opportunity yet to stop by the table, we would love to uh, invite you to do that after service. And, and uh, if you have any questions about South Africa or if you would like to have not had an opportunity to pick up one of our prayer cards, please do. We, they are, um, if you want one per person, is fine. We have plenty. As, you're gonna, as you will see, if you already have one, if you don't, when you, you will see, uh, they are slightly out of date. Uh, seeing we do not have our uh, little Lathia, uh picture on there yet. Haven't figured out how quite to Photoshop on a label and stick it on there that actually looks nice yet. So we're going to have to rectify that here in a couple of months. Uh, so anyway, just to say, we have plenty. And they are now officially collector's items because they are only two kids. They'll never be like that again. Okay, uh, Mark chapter 1 this evening. And uh, if I invite your attention down to verse uh, number 14 this evening. The Bible says, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. This evening, just like to spend a few moments on this, simply Jesus is calling Jesus is calling each of us. You know the Lord is your Savior. He is calling you. He's calling me. Father, we do want to say thank you so much. Again, just it's such a privilege to be able to come into your house. And just as we were reminded this morning that you are worthy of our worship and of our adoration and of our attention. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your children to, do, to give honor to you and pray for the next few moments that you would truly honor yourself through your word. And Work in our hearts, Father, that we, you would make us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would imagine it would be an understatement to say that our world today is in dire straits. It's in a very serious situation. Just, just consider our world. Just, just a few statistics. We have currently over 7 billion people on our planet alive at this moment. 
Seven billion. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that number. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we were in Oklahoma, and uh, of course, college football is big there. And I've been there, lived there for 12 years. I'm an Oklahoma University uh, Sooner fan. Never been to a game, but we were at a, had an opportunity to go. And this the stadium, the Oklahoma University Stadium, 86,000 people that particular evening. It was just a sea, a, a sea of a sea of people. Is is almost overwhelming just that number. That's just a few thousand. Can't imagine seven billion people alive on our planet. Of those seven billion people, approximately 44 percent. That's four. That's four out of every ten people are either Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu. Just just those three religions comprise nearly half of our world's population. Well, what is the significance of that? Significance is that most likely none of those have ever and most likely will never, outside the intervention of God, hear the gospel, have access to the gospel for generations. There are a nearly a third of our planet would be would claim to be Christian. They would make that claim. But is that really true? Could we legitimately say that one in three people living alive in our planet today are followers of Jesus Christ? Not at all. Most of them are trusting their Christianity, whatever flavor it might be, whether Catholic or, or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or whatever, whatever flavor it might be. And even there are some possibly that would claim the name of Baptist that would be trusting in their church membership or in their service instead of trusting in Christ. Our world is truly in need of deliverance, really not any different than the people of Israel in Jesus' day. Israel at this point in time, as the New Testament is opening up, was they were they were looking for the Savior. They're looking for the the Messiah that God had promised. And as our text opens, John the Baptist has just been in prison. Of course, John the Baptist, God had used him to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of Messiah and to announce the arrival of the Messiah when he stood there on the banks of Jordan and and said, point out, Jesus, behold, the way of God, which taketh away the sins of the world this point, he's been put in prison for his stand for truth and his preaching of the word of God. And at this point, our Savior begins his, what we call his active public ministry. And as he comes, as, he, as Jesus begins there in verse 14, we, we, see, we see what really his, his, the primary focus of his ministry was. It says in verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, it's important here because... Jesus' ministry is often, though, the primary focus of his ministry can be easily overlooked. We consider through the, the Gospels and we can see all the wonderful miracles that he performed. And, and they, they were uh, wonderful and they served a purpose and they, they did great things in the lives of people. We saw how Jesus cares for people that were blind or that were deaf or that were lame or even raising people from the dead, feeding the 5,000. All these things that, that most, that had most, you know, uh, children that are there go come to Sunday school. No. However, that was not Jesus primary purpose, primary focus in his ministry. His primary focus was simply this preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. All those miracles, they served to to obviously to confirm the, the words that he was saying, but to reveal himself that he was the Messiah, that they were to believe on him. 
And of course, the, 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 this culminated in not just proclaiming the gospel, but Jesus not only is not only one that preached the gospel, he is the gospel. He is the good news. His death, burial, and resurrection, of course, is, is that gospel. Uh, it, it, the Bible give, it also gives an idea of here what the, the, the content of this message was. Verse 15 says, in saying, so he's preaching the gospel, this is what he's saying. The time is at hand, the, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message. That's Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, long ago, of course, in the Old Testament, even you go all the way back to Genesis, and God had promised the people of Israel and the world that he was going to send a Savior. That he was going to send one that would, that would restore things after, as, after the, uh, of course, the results of the fall and sin coming into the world, that he would come and wreck, be able, provide salvation or reconcile man back unto their creator. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the, the prophets and all through, the, to, through the, uh, God's working in the people of Israel, he was promising them, and were in many different occasions, many different ways, that through them, and in God's appointed time, through the people of Israel, God would bring that promised Messiah. One that would sit on the throne of his father David. One that would be the branch. One that would, would come and, and bring deliverance to his people. And they look forward to that. The Jews of, of really any uh, uh, stripe, most stripes of that day... That was the, the great anticipation that they had, because at this point in time, they were under the, the bondage. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They, they, they were not independent as a country. They had a measure of, of, of allowances the Roman government gave them, but they were under the control of a foreign, a foreign wicked, pagan empire. They looked forward. They were anticipating the coming of Messiah to free them from what they, what they perceived as their primary Oppressor. He says, but he says, he says here, the time is fulfilled, present tense. It is fulfilled. This time that God had promised that would have to last before Messiah would come, it's fulfilled at this point. And then he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It means it, it, it's near, it's, it's approaching. This, this kingdom, this, this time that God had promised back in the Old Testament, he says, it, it's now, it's here, it's, it's getting close. The problem was with among the Jews and the people of Israel that they had an, inc- an incomplete view of the promised kingdom. You see, the people of Israel, they, they had this, this mentality of primarily a physical deliverance, a physical kingdom. Where even we see all the way through, even the disciples, as we go through Jesus' ministry, they're constantly asking Jesus, okay, is, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Is now the time? Is now the time? The people of Israel's perspective on Messiah was a great king, a great deliverer that would come and deliver them from their physical enemies and give them the, the power and the influence and the independence and the prosperity that they once knew under the likes of David and Solomon. And while we understand definitely from, from Scripture that that is going to happen, that will happen, Christ will come. And he will establish such a kingdom, and he will destroy all of Israel's enemies, and he will set up the literal throne. He will literally reign from Jerusalem over, over the world with a rod of iron. We understand that. However, this day that Jesus is speaking these words is not that day. Christ was not intending at this point in time to set up his physical kingdom. Because 
he hadn't accomplished the purpose for his first coming yet. So it wasn't that day that he, he wasn't saying this is the day that I'm going to set up my, the physical kingdom of the Messiah. Then what day was he talking about? What is he talking about? Then the kingdom of God is at hand. Because the kingdom, this kingdom of God that Christ is talking about here is not primarily physical, but spiritual. The spiritual kingdom. See, Israel's primary need was not physical deliverance from her enemies. That, that wasn't their primary need. You remember back, there's been points in times of Israel's history that they had that deliverance, that they had the independence, that they had the power and the prestige and the prosperity through the, in the Old Testament times. But we also see, we look not, you don't have to go too deep to see that while they may have had physical and political deliverance and political power, they were spiritually dead. They were given to idolatry. There was wickedness and oppression that filled the land and that they reap the consequences of that. See, Israel's primary need was not physical deliverance from her enemies. Her primary need was eternal deliverance from her sins. That was the primary need that they had. See, the people that Jesus was talking to here, he, that, that he was preaching to, they realized they needed a Messiah to bring deliverance. There was no doubt in their mind that, yes, we need a deliverer. But Jesus here was preaching the kingdom of God was at hand without that physical deliverance. How many people do we interact with and we see and even may even come to church at different times, visit times, or, or you interact with them time to time every now and then, that view Jesus as but a fix to their physical problems? You know, they'll, when they have a health problem, they have a financial difficulty, when there's some crisis in their life, they, they come and they, they, want, uh, they, they want God to make everything better. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm thankful that the Lord uses, uses events and challenges and difficulties in people's lives to draw them into himself, to make them aware of their need for him. But so often what happens is when they either... When, when either something happens, their life situation gets better or, or maybe God doesn't do what they expected him to do, you never see him again. See, the people on our day are really not much different than people in their day. And Jesus knows the hearts of all men. And yet, he still preached this message. Repent ye and believe the gospel. I understand. He knew that their misconceptions. He knew what they were, where they, what, where they stood in all these things. And yet, he still came. He didn't change his message. He didn't come and say, "Okay, well, uh, okay, I'll go and say, I'll go and destroy the Roman Empire." Could he have done that? With one word, he could have done that. But he didn't, because their need was not first physical. Their need was spiritual, and he called on them. To repent, to to turn, change their to change. To, they need to change their change their mind. That's what the word repent means. To turn. They have been believed. They have been depending on on a, looking for a physical deliverance. Really, completely ignoring the fact that they had sin. You, you read through the. You consider the gospels. You consider the Pharisees. Would it, would would there be any of those? Would there be? Would it be consistent with the? conduct of the Pharisees for a Pharisee to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. I have sinned against God and I need you to save me. 
Was that typical? Not at all. In fact, the Pharisees are the ones that when Jesus went to eat and interact with and, and uh, minister to the publicans and sinners, they're the ones that found fault. Because the Pharisees and the Jews as a whole, they had this mindset that, as, that we have the capability and the uh, ability to create, establish our own righteousness and, and go about just keeping the law. And that's good enough because we're 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 good enough on our own. There was no humility there. Jesus is, is calling on them. No, you need to you need to stop trusting yourself and you need to believe the gospel. You need to believe in me and accept me. The Savior from your sins. Salvation was a simple choice to believe, to trust, to place faith in Christ. The good news, the gospel, was that the Messiah had come to save his people from their sins. They must first acknowledge they had sinned, but then believe on him and call on him. That was Jesus' mission. That was his mission. That was his purpose for coming was to seek and to save the lost. His mission was to intersect people with the gospel so that they might believe in him, call on him, repent, and turn to him, and thus receive eternal salvation from their sins. That was his mission. And his mission hasn't changed. But in that mission, as we consider this, this purpose and this, this, this plan that Jesus had and still has, he chose to use people, in our, in our text, four men, to accomplish that mission. He chose to take Peter, Andrew, James, and John in, in our text here, specifically, personally, individually, and to start them on a process of making them to become fishers of men, to be people that he could use to proclaim this same message. We should never get over the fact that God would use us. Really, who are we? We sang this morning, we're just sinners, saved by grace. We have, we have nothing in ourselves. There's no goodness in ourselves, innate in us, that really would benefit anybody. And yet, he chose to use us. You realize in, in, the, in, the, in the gospel, when, when you know, we consider the, the might of our, our Savior and, and even all the angelic hosts and all the, the great beings out there, that, that you know, we see in the Old Testament where God would send different uh, angelic beings in different times to communicate his message through the prophets and to the people. And we see there, even in the, as, as the uh, New Testament opens up, what happens? The, uh, Jesus is born in the manger in Bethlehem. And remember the shepherds that are on the hillside, that they're t- watching their flocks that night. And what happens? The host of the Lord shows up and says, Unto you this day is born in the sea of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They announce that they're preaching the gospel to those shepherds. What was the result? The shepherds, after they got over the fact they were scared out of their minds, they, they go, so let's, let's, let us go and see. Let us go and see. And they went to Bethlehem and they believed. Why doesn't, well, but why not today? Do you think if all of a sudden 
the host of God showed up over New York City, people would pay attention? I would imagine so. But ever since that moment, God hasn't used angels. You know who he's used ever since? People. Shepherds went. They went to, to see the babe and they, they were wondering. They were there glorifying God. And what, what did they do? Then they went and spread abroad over the country the things that they had seen and heard. Once per a person has heard the gospel, they are the ones that God then uses to tell others. It's a wonderful privilege that we have. It's what God had, what Christ had, was calling these men out. Notice that this was not this call that he made to, to them and where, he's, where he sees Simon and Andrew in verse 16 casting his into the sea. And then down in verse 19, they James and and John were in the ship mending their nets. Do you see these four men looking out, searching out Jesus? As far as we, from other texts, we understand that, that the chronology of the, they'd already, they'd already believed on him as the Messiah prior to this. These, this isn't the time that they get saved. But do you see them looking at, okay, Jesus, put us to work. Uh, they're, they're about, they're going about their business. Uh, I'm saying that's wrong, but they're, they're just, they're going about the, the point is, this call was not their design, it was Christ's design. Christ was the one that came to where they are at and said, I want you to follow me. I want to use you. You see, this was not their mission that they were to embark on. This wasn't theirs first. You know, the mission of reaching the world is not first ours. It's first Christ's. It, 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 it's, his, it's his desire. It's, it's his will. He is, not, he is the one that is not willing that any should perish. He is the one that came to seek and save that was lost. He is the one that was slain from the foundation of the world for our redemption. It's his mission. It's our mission because he has called us to join him on his mission. Because he wants to use us. Jesus intended to make these, these men... To become effective fishers of men. Realizing these men were not really any much different than us. They had no power in themselves to affect change the lives of people. They had no power in themselves to be effective witnesses for Christ. But with Christ working in them and through them, they could be a part of something that they would never have been able to accomplish by themselves. See, Jesus' design is not... Is is not to merely have his people go through life enjoying the benefits of salvation and the blessings of salvation. Well, well, there are many of them, aren't there? I'm thankful for those. I'm thankful for the blessings that it is to be his child and the, the comfort that there is in hard times, the, the strength and the encouragement and the, 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 the awareness of his constant presence that he has promised. And all these things that we can look to, and besides the fact the looking forward to the hope of eternal life and the, the, the looking forward to the joys of the time we're going to be able to be in heaven and worshiping around his throne in person forever and ever for all ages to come. But his design is not to just have us go through life Looking forward to heaven. His design is for all of his people to reach others with the gospel. Because of that, Jesus called these men to come after him. You notice there in verse 17, four little words. 
Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. This is not a request. This is a command. It's an it's, a, it's the way it's structured. It's, it's it's an interjection. It's like you come now. It's like you have you ever you have those of you have children. You when you want your child to come, you know you don't sit there and ask please when you have time when you think about it, if it's convenient for you. Would you please come here because I'd like to talk to you. No, it's Jeremiah. Come here now. That's what Jesus is saying to these men. It's it's a it's a command. A command means that if they were do not obey this, they are living in disobedience. It's a call to come. It says, come ye after me. It identifies the place to which they were called to come. Sometimes, you know, even especially as you know, teenagers, even the young adults, I'm sure even all of us, we have the question sometimes, well, I just don't know what does God want me to do? I just don't know what, what I should do in this situation or what I should do with my life or what I should do with in this scenario and in, in this circumstance. He gives the answer right here. Come ye after me. That means he's the one going ahead. That means our attention is not on ourselves. Our attention is not on us trying to find the way. Our attention is on him, is on his word, is on his design and on his purpose has the idea the idea of, of even of uh, includes the idea of motivation and in the fact that you say I want you to follow me because I want you to make me. He's telling these just these men, I want you to make me what you desire. Not just one of the things, but that I have that supreme place. Now, following me is what drives you. He was calling these men to simply do this, to commit to a life of discipleship, a followership, a fact that this is not just a, a one-time thing. This is a daily thing. He's saying to these men, I want you to come after me. I want you to follow me. I want you to commit to make following me the number one thing in your life that drives everything. And that's exactly what they did. They, we see Peter and Andrew, they, they forsook their nets there in verse 18. It says, and straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And in verse 20, they, they, he, he calls uh, John and James and John. And they, leave their, they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. They, they obeyed. They obeyed his command to come after him. It wasn't that their professions were wrong. It wasn't like Jesus calling them out of a life of sin. No, they were doing their they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, taking care of their families and being and being uh, diligent in their work. They were doing right. But what Jesus calling was was calling them. You're doing good. But I want you to make following me. Of supreme importance under which all other areas of your life are in subjection. See, their careers were fine. Their families were fine. It was, it was good for them to take care of their families. And, but their careers, their family, and their comfort had to be in subjection to Jesus' call to follow him. Do you realize that that call hasn't changed? 
as believers in Jesus Christ, he is calling us to follow him. You know, it's really it's possible for a person to be saved and not be a disciple. Because to be a disciple, that means it's no longer about us and our comfort and what we want and what what we think is right. It's all about his pleasure and his will and his purposes for us. That's 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 hard to do, isn't it? Even as, as a believer, yes, we we know it's not obviously not going to change your salvation at all. But there are so many times you wake up in the morning, you go through the day, you go through even days and even weeks and all of a sudden you wake up and you realize, you know, I've been living for myself all this time. I've been, do- no, I've been doing things. I've been doing what's right. I've been working hard. I've been faithful in church. I've been serving. I've been doing all these things. But it's been more about me. Jesus is calling us to follow Him. Period. It's, 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 not, it's not a... It's not a that we can follow him and do our own thing. Uh, didn't Jesus himself say you, you cannot serve God and mammon, things of this world? We can't please God and please ourselves. There's a, a saying that out there that's it's on uh, uh, my, that Jeremiah has been learning. There are only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. You can't please God and seek our own pleasure at the same time. Jesus is calling us to follow him. Later on, he would specifically say to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Discipleship means that everything in life is subject to Jesus' person and Jesus' mission. Everything it means our, our jobs. This doesn't just go for someone that is in you know ministry by vocation. It's all of us. Our jobs have to be subject to His mission. That means you go to work. It's not primarily about the job. It's primarily about honoring Him. And being a testimony for him and serving him means our security is subject to him. Whether that be health security or our financial security, no matter what, whatever it is, it has to be subject to his call. Our family has to be subject to him. It's, it's, kind of, it's pretty easy to, to let our families take precedence over Christ. If you ever have the situation where a family member's opinion or desire is contrary to what you know God wants you to do, has it ever happened? Whose opinion are you more concerned about? The answer to that will tell you who you're following. Your comfort is subject to Him. We all like to be comfortable. We all do. And I, I, I would much rather be in a nice soft bed, in air conditioning, with a pillow, four walls around me, than in a 
tent in 130 degrees with flies, mosquitoes, and black mambas. I'd much rather the former. Sometimes God's call takes you to what's not comfortable. But you don't have to be extreme like that. It's not always comfortable to go and talk to people about the gospel. It isn't. Actually, probably never is. It's not always comfortable to give of your time and your resources. It's not always comfortable to respond in kindness when someone treats you with meanness. It's not always comfortable. Jesus, but God is, God's Christ's call on our life is to subject our own comfort to his will and to his mission. This choice to follow Christ and to follow Jesus and to, to end to commit to this life of discipleship is not a one-time thing. You know, Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, you know, they had multiple opportunities through, through the, the next three years of when they were with Jesus to, to check out. There were some of Jesus' disciples that did, aren't there? There are some that came, they came to a point that, that the words that Jesus was speaking were too hard for them. They, they, they weren't willing to accept it and believe it. And they left. They had plenty of choice times to, to make that choice, but they had to every day make the choice. Now, I'm going to follow Jesus. They weren't perfect. I can't read the Gospels and, and say Peter always made the right decision. There was plenty of times that Peter showed that he was more following Peter. There are plenty of times that others show that they were following, but they, were in the, they submitted themselves to the process of Christ working in them to make them to be what he wanted them to be. It's called them to commit to a life of discipleship. But also notice this, that he did not call them to be, to, he, did, he did not call them to become fishers of men. Notice in verse, there in verse 17, he says, Come ye after me. He does not say, Okay, Peter, I want you to become a fisher of men. No, he says, Come ye after me. And then what does he say? And I will make you to become a fisher of men. Sometimes we can get that backwards. We get so... And rightly, we should be zealous about serving our Lord. But... Sometimes it's easy to serve and bypass the discipleship. It's easy to serve without the subjection to his will. Now, Jesus here say, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me, and as, and, when, and as you follow me, I will do a work in you and make you to be what I want you to be to, so that I may use you to accomplish my purposes. See, it's, it's easy to get discouraged in this work with reaching people with the gospel. It's, it's very easy. We can try to talk to people and persuade them and, and just even get an audience with someone that, so I want to, can I just talk to you about your soul and about what God says? It, it, it's, it's, it can be discouraging when they, when they reject it. We try to expand our, the reach of the gospel. We try to 
make ourselves to be better fishermen. And yes, it's very, it's appropriate. We, sh- we should give ourselves to all of those. But we need to realize it's not our work. It's his work. He's the one that does a work in us to make us to be more conformed to the image of Christ. He is the one that does the work in the hearts and lives of people. Our job is to submit ourselves to the process. Because it is a process. Going from non-fisher to fisher is not instantaneous. Notice that that he said in, in in this text, he says, I will make you to become fishers of men. It's a process. Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James and John. This is really the beginning, the beginning of when they were following Jesus, walking with him on a day to day basis. Where can you can can we look at Peter's life and any part of the Gospels and say, okay, he is 100 percent sold out, a sold out fisher of men. How many times did Peter start trying to tell Jesus how Jesus should be doing things? But he submitted himself to the process. For three years, he walked with Jesus. And not that he was, com- it was the complete finished product at, that point, at the end of those three years, but it wasn't until after those three years we see him on the day of Pentecost standing up and God using him to be a fisher of men. Becoming effective ambassadors for Christ is not the result of our own determination. It's not the result of us just buckling down and saying, I'm going to somehow try to make myself to be a fisher of men. We can't make ourselves to be children of God by our determination. It's his work. So how can we make ourselves to be his servants by our own efforts? It's simply coming before him and submitting to this process. We must subject, we must commit ourselves every day and even times, multiple times during the day to subject our thinking, our priorities, our doing, our priorities, our everything, commit, subject everything in our life to Christ. That means we need to know what his will is. We need to be in his word knowing and every day, no understanding. Okay, Lord, help me to think like you today. Because I can't follow you unless I know what your will is. And he's already revealed his, revealed his will and his word. We must subject ourselves to his mission. This is what sometimes gets hard. Because the first is private. The spending time with the Lord, all that, that's, that's private. This idea of being involved in his mission, well, that means you actually have to talk to people. And go to where they're at. That, that can be more challenging, can't it? But if we're going to be his disciple, that's part of it. Following Jesus will always lead us to become a fisher of men. Every time. So if we're not a fisher of men means maybe we're not following Jesus. It doesn't say, I'm going to make you a catcher of men, a fisher of men. It's a difference. You can go fishing and not catch something. Jesus didn't call us to go and reach thousands. He called us to go and proclaim the gospel. Jesus was calling these men 
to commit to a life of discipleship so that he might make them to become effective fishers of men. And that still is called on you and me. Why? It's still his mission of intersecting lives with the gospel. People still need the Lord. Salvation by faith in Christ is still the only way. The preaching of the gospel is still the only way people are going to know the gospel. It's still his design to use you and I to intersect others with the gospel. That's still his design to use his people to do that. It's still his call for us to follow him so that then he might make us to be instruments that he can use and that will be useful to him in that mission. But to become this effective fisher of men that Christ desires us to be, we have to daily commit to this life of discipleship. To a life that is subject to Christ and his mission. So this evening, let me ask you, if I may, is your time subject to Christ and his mission? We all have the same amount of it. Guys, the President of the United States still only has 24 hours. We all have the same amount of time. Say, so, well, it, it, well, our time is filled up very easily, isn't it? By, by right things, by good things, by things that are necessary for life. So we don't have, I just don't have time for, for this or for that. But if our time was subject to him... What could he do with our limited resources of time? If it was truly subject to him. Are your resources, is your family, are your plans, your goals, your dreams, are they subject to him and his mission? It's, it's very simple. This is, Jesus' call is very simple. Just follow me. And he knows it. And he, and he understands. And he, and he very well knows it's a simple decision, but it's not always an easy choice. Because we have something called our flesh, don't we? That bucks it. And that resists. But we... That, but, but he has provided us a way to even overcome that, hasn't he? By faith in him. The victory that overcometh the world, the victory that overcometh our flesh, is faith in Him because it's He who does the work in our lives. He is calling you and He's calling me to come after Him. So this evening, how are you going to answer? A life of discipleship is not promised to be comfortable, but it will be productive for his namesake. He has called us to follow him. Are we going to choose to subject ourselves to his will? Are we going to choose to only go as far as is comfortable 
tell you, according to this, if we only partially follow him, we're going to miss out on his work and what he wants to do in us and through us. Let's just choose to follow him. Father, we thank you so much for salvation that you've given to us and the fact that you provided and you worked in us to in our in our lives individually to bring us to a point that we would have hear the gospel and thank you for that thank you for allowing us to be a part of your mission for allowing us to be messengers of the gospel i pray you'd help us you examine our hearts you know our hearts that you would help us to See areas that maybe we are not following you as you would have us. Make us be more like you. Thank you that it's a process that you continue work in our hearts and our lives, just as you did Peter and James and John and Andrew and so many others through the ages. I pray that you'd make, make us to be vessels that would bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.